Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. We have the impervious here again. It is June 28th. We are looking at SPY at an even 300. Very interesting time to do a podcast. Uh, A lot of arguments for the Bears, not as many for the Bulls, but we'll get to all that. But first, Sean, welcome to the show. Back locked and loaded, refreshed, looking forward to uh, talking some stocks here. So let's start off first with the opening topic we always go with. So our little bet, uh, you have QQQ, which is the uh, top 100 in the NASDAQ. I have BRKB representing the value side, uh, Berkshire Class B. So we made this bet May 1st. Of course, for the people listening for the first time, uh, the question is who will uh, have the highest return based on their investment? Um, since May 1st, I am down 4% on my Berkshire shares. You are up 13% on Triple Q, and the market is up 6%. Um, I did want to compare this to year to date, which I think is kind of interesting. So since 1231, uh, BRKB is down a whopping 23%. Uh, Triple Q is up 13%. I thought that was kind of wild. And then the market is down 7%. So pretty startling numbers. I mean, especially that year to date, we're still down on the major indices, although the NASDAQ continues to, to be up. So again, the market's love for tech uh, is obvious. It's only been a constant theme of this podcast. So yeah, even with all the price action this week and some, some weakness in the DAC, uh, the triple Qs, there's definitely a... a, a requirement for tech continuing to keep the market up less than a market indicator it's sort of the heart and blood of of a functioning stock market in this year of our lord 2020 so i'm standing by that bet and confident that uh as low as the market goes is as low as the dax going but it's also going to lift it to new heights but Looking forward to getting into some prognostication here about uh, what that direction may be. Yes. Before we prognosticate, let's go over the previous week because I know you saw some ominous signs, maybe some telltale signs of what's ahead. So what did you see over the last five days of trading that made an impression on you? Yeah. So coming into this week, we had been continuing to sort of coil and bounce around a pretty similar range. Uh, between 307 and 315 on the uh, SPY, S&P 500 ETF. Uh, But finally this week, we saw some continued selling and buying the dip appears to not have the same bang for the buck uh, that it did on on earlier sell-offs where you could basically count on a big, big run um, after touching either one of the the trend lines or one of the key supports. Um, But a few interesting things, just going back to Monday, right after we recorded our last podcast, there was an interesting moment on futures, actually, where Peter Navarro, who is the uh, trade representative for the U.S., said on a, I believe, Fox News interview that the trade deal is off. 
the futures dropped about 40 points in, in five minutes and then instantly got bought back up. So that's almost a microcosm for what's going on. And we can look at that a couple different ways, but just purely technically seeing such a strong buyback, even though the comments were walking back sort of gives the indication uh, that the market was strong. So I think earlier in this week, the bulls definitely had some confidence that, you know, the sell-off was just regrouping, gaining some power to move higher. Um, but coming into Friday, uh, I think what we really learned from that, that moment in Futures Monday is that that was sort of a shot across the bow, a little warning about how fragile things are and, and what the potential is for a large sustained sell-off in the future. So uh, Friday, we came down from highs just below 307 to finishing at about 300 with heavy, heavy selling pressure. Uh, it didn't seem like the market would dip below 300 on Friday. Uh, like I mentioned, there's a massive put wall uh, around 100k open interest on the uh, $300 put for for SPY expiring Friday, so they weren't going to pay that. But it seemed like it took every possible resource that the uh, algos, you know, firing sales to and fro each other could do to keep it above 300. But here we are at that key level. It's a big psychological round number 300. Uh, so I think one would almost expect just a a bigger bounce on this um, based on previous behavior. So there's plenty of call buying going on Friday in the uh, flow looking for that bounce into Monday. Um, but purely from a technical standpoint, um, the Friday close breaks out of the up channel that's been sustained since early March um, and is appearing to give all indications that we're going down further into next week. Now, things have been hard to trade basically the last couple of weeks until now, which seems to give that strong indication, that strong bearish uh, indication on the market, but you can never rule out a huge bounce coming out of this this position. So um, one thing I do want to point out, I brought this up on our last show, the DIX or the dark pool index, which is a fairly new indicator that basically uh, measures the ratio of long to short positions on the dark pool, which is trades happening off of uh, the regular markets or lit markets. And uh, that Dix number you'd expect to be pretty high over 50% if there is a, a strong long sentiment. But we uh, finished Friday just up 0.2% to 45.8%, which going forward, I think that tells me that there is still risk to the upside and a likelihood that we continue down further. Um, so just to throw out a couple different levels here, uh, I'm closely watching around 297.98. That's a extremely strong print level um, for some type of bounce if we gap down overnight here once futures open on Monday uh, and then gauge that reaction. I think um, there's room to run if there's a bounce uh, at that level to 290 or excuse me, 307. Um, but if that level fails, it looks like Somewhere between 292 and 288 is the, the landing zone for a major sell-off, whether that's Monday, Tuesday, or even later in the week. Um, but until either it breaks above that 307 level or bounces off uh, somewhere again between uh, 292 and uh, a little below 287, um, probably not looking to go long. And I think being short is probably the safer play looking forward based on how we finished. Yep, that makes sense to me. I know you had some thoughts too on volatility. It seems like either if we go another leg up or there's a major sell-off, one thing you can bet on is we're going to see more vol than we have in the past. So I know you had some thoughts on VXX, the VIX ETF. So what are your thoughts on what we see vol do this coming week? 
So when we see things sell off like they did Friday, uh, basically everything gets caught up in that sell off. So no matter what you're holding, you can basically expect it to be a red day. Uh, and in those situations, there's definitely some, some better plays than others, some that fall off harder and plenty of uh, stocks that still go green. But in, in a large sell-off situation, like it looks like we're facing down, I feel like one of the best strategies is to, uh, even if you're not short, at least hold VIX uh, overnight in intraday trading. We're still seeing a significant amount of action um, in between trading hours as opposed to during trading hours. So um, in a, a market like this, where there is unpredictable movement um, or between each trading day, the best way to you know, get a return on your investment if you are short is to add that VIX. And they were seeing uh, a strong, um, almost bull flag looking formation. I actually don't really feel like technical analysis is great for the VIX, but hovering just below 38, if it breaks above that number, uh, which has been a local high, then it's definitely got room to run and while not being necessarily an inverse of the S&P 500, um, the VIX rising is definitely an indication that we are going to be going down. Uh, and the VIX moving up faster is definitely an indication that if it hasn't already come, a big sell-off is coming. So um, even if you're not holding it, I feel like right now that's one of the key indicators to be keeping your eye on as, as far as the health of a rally uh, or the likelihood that you're getting caught up, caught up in a pretty significant sell-off. Um, but the return on VIX intraday has been pretty great. Um, the premiums are probably certainly going up pretty soon, but I feel like that's definitely been, um, if you are pretty convinced that there's going to be a, a significant sell-off and you're getting positioned there, um, a great way to just sort of capture that, that run without having to pick and choose a, a particular uh, ticker. Yeah, I do like that trade because you can kind of be bear, bull, independent, which I like because I don't really have a, a strong view either way. I actually think risk is potentially tipped a bit to the, the downside based on all the macro news we'll probably discuss. Although, yeah, to be fair, we've talked about price action is the only thing that matters and don't try to read too much into the macro. But that said, I'm going to go right ahead and, and dive into the macro. So you mentioned Navarro earlier in this week talking about the China trade deal being over. Um, you had a couple other interesting thoughts. So one was uh, Nike earnings being unexpectedly pretty terrible this week. So I, I'm hoping that's not... Uh, a leading indicator for what the rest of Q2 earnings will look like. So there was that. And then probably the one more of our listeners are familiar with is COVID continues to be a huge issue in the uh, parts of the American South and West. Um, reopening is getting either peeled back or completely delayed. Uh, markets seem pretty vulnerable to that. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those two pieces of news. And it seems like the COVID one especially is going to be an overhang on the market for the foreseeable future. So to look into our, our, our bull bear heat index here, there's definitely sort of three different facets there. The uh, news sentiment one, the fundamental and, and the technical aspect. So based on, on what I was, uh, the bars I was just dropping there from the technical standpoint, I think there's definitely a fair case to be made for downward wedge. But yeah, if we consider sort of the news cycle, um, which the market is, is a little manic about whether it trades on bad news, i.e. the riots, uh, and selectively picks out good news, i.e. the job reports to surge on. Um, it seems like there's been uh, several news stories that have come and gone, not really had an impact, but um, clearly one that would make an enormous difference is that trade deal being off. Peter Navarro, in a role like being the trade advisor, I don't think you can accidentally say it's off without having you know, a keen awareness of what that type of rhetoric 
would be received as. And certainly someone is watching futures in the White House and you can believe that that Donald Trump was on the phone with him, uh, given him the uh, wherefore about that. But I think that is something that you need to be prepared for. I mean, he didn't say this is absolutely still on. We're used to sort of very uh, positive uh, uh, speech about anything, you know, trade related, maybe not so much virus related, anything economically from the White House, clearly trying to pump and prop things up. So I find that to be concerning. And that's obvious more of a galaxy brain play, not much else to base that off of since it um, doesn't seem like too much else has changed. China seems pretty strong uh, otherwise, so who knows where the, the negotiation is at right now. But to the Nike point, I pointed that out, um, especially that real bad beat, losing $790 million, uh, in their fourth quarter for 2019 fiscal year, but they just reported. And I point that one out because they had been um, one of, again, the earlier companies reporting back in March in that earnings cycle uh, and was a surprising beat just based on their online sales and the strength of the brand there. So to see how see them have such a bad uh, loss and bad showing, stock them 4% after hours after that was announced, uh, sort of sets the tone for what we can expect for um, this, this earnings season coming up. And I've, I've brought that up a few times in previous shows, pointing out um, the early July or even mid-July timeframe based on a lot of the options flow and the heavy uh, put activity to be sort of an area where there's a, a low expected to be. And we've talked about catalysts before, many have come and gone, um, but it definitely seems like a, a piece of China news uh, or shutdowns based on COVID would be one. But from a fundamental standpoint, I think to see with so many companies withdrawing uh, guidance, what the response will be to um, a lot of these market darlings that have been running up so much, uh, even if they're good, do they justify those all-time highs? And I think that really sort of puts the, the bullish case there, which is if we're at all-time highs almost across the board, we've obviously come off them a little bit on Friday, but between the NASDAQ and Apple hitting an all-time high this week, um, it seems like there's strength where there is already strength in the market. Um, but if there is an adverse response to them, um, even if they beat or are performing um, better than they did in previous earnings, not enough to justify that run-up that they had the last couple months. Or we find out that there's actually a much more precarious uh, situation on the balance sheet for a lot of these companies in hemorrhaging money in a way that would certainly uh, make the, the multiples right now seem a little more ridiculous knowing that the um, forward-looking uh, view of, of the situation, at least economically, you know, virus notwithstanding, Yep, I would add in a couple more kind of negative macro news stories, more on the company news front that stood out to me. Uh, Blackstone, which of course owns a ton of properties, missed uh, a $274 million mortgage payment on four hotels um, it has mortgages on. And then there was additional news kind of on the residential mortgage front of uh, delinquency numbers being a bit higher than expected after they, they were pretty good for April and parts of May. So that was one. Um, and then the other was, we had talked about this a bit, um, the Fed test, stress test on um, bank capital ratios. So the Fed basically said uh, it expects two banks to fail those tests, I believe was the number. Um, one is highly uh, speculated to be Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo would have to cut their dividend as a result or find some way to be able to pass that test in the future. Um, so the combination of those two events to me, uh, the market definitely reacted to this, um, is that, a, you know, banks are perhaps not as strong as the market thought. 
they were. Um, I was pretty long on the on the financial sector, so I credit I blame myself for missing that one. And then the mortgage space too. I was also pretty long on REITs um, and mortgage servicers, so I may have also overestimated the strength of, of those names as well. So you know, as someone who is very bullish on the kind of financial and um, real estate sector. I did feel a little bit nervous based on on some of that news flow. Uh, but again, I, I don't think it's changing my long-term view of, of what we see in one, two, three years, which again is my investing horizon. So um, it's, it's important not to react too strongly to these news. Obviously, I, I have my eye on it. Um, you know, a pending real estate crisis perhaps could be in the works. Uh, but again, like it's, it's tough to tell if uh, one quarter of bad Nike earnings and then some bad news around banks and real estate is enough to cause a full-blown panic. So I don't know. I, I would say my long-term thesis was perhaps put into question by some of the news that happened this week. Um, Any way you try to cut it, it definitely was a week for the Bears and not for the Bulls. And I, I don't want it to uh, be lost that certainly while I'm bearish here, it's, uh, you know, I see a lot more short-term opportunity for that. Um, you know, I do see lots of places for uh, a, a good long position even now uh, with general market insecurity. Um, but looking at banks specifically, that stress test, uh, dividends not allowed, uh, no buybacks, which I guess they weren't doing or had already suspended. But the upside there in the financials is is certainly Captain. I know you love yourself, Wells Fargo. Um, while the report didn't name specifically which banks uh, would be in a dangerously low capital position based on their modeling, which I'm sure was you know probably a little... Uh, soft on on how hard it was testing um it seems to to say that there is not a ton of upside and looking at the xlf it's been killed um during this rally or last couple of weeks relative to the other markets so um if if the market is moving up to another level the financials really need to go with it um one of the more beaten down sectors certainly relative to tech in the nasdaq um and so while the xlf and banks not really going anywhere isn't going to hold the market back i feel like you know, there's lots of value to, to find there. But as you mentioned last week, uh, while we were out having a round at uh, Stone Metal Golf Course in Lexington, there's a plug for you. Uh, you'd mentioned that holding stock is a superpower. And I think it's going to challenge your superpowers here on some of these boring dinosaur plays that uh, will fail to deliver the same type of returns as some more trendier plays um, that we can get into, you know, looking ahead. So got plenty of uh, plays to the downside, but lots of uh, interesting sectors that I think present uh, some good value or at least an opportunity to continue going up going forward. Yeah, let, let's get into shorter term trades. One quick note on that comment. I do want to double down on the fact that I think not selling is a superpower. And I mentioned this to you also at the golf course, but the biggest uh, case study in that to me is Amazon over the last 20 years or so. So Amazon and its history as a publicly traded stock has had two 90% drawdowns. And again, if you had sold on either of those drawdowns, so for, you know, for those who want clarification of that term, that means at one point uh, from peak to trough, the stock, the stock went down 90%. So you could have potentially bought it, you know, say a hundred bucks and then been down to 10 bucks at one point. But if you had sold on either of those points, you would have missed out on what's been probably, I mean, I would have to do the numbers, but Amazon has to be in the top 1% of returns since IPO. I mean, it, it's a just monster stock. And you would have missed the whole thing if you had sold in it when those draw, two drawdowns happened. I think one was when the tech bubble popped and the other was probably around 08. So 
you know, buying and holding is a superpower. And I think some of the better trades I've had long-term has been from my ability to not panic and not sell. So I just want to say for those of you who are holding dinosaur stocks that are not the trendy uh, tech stocks in the market, uh, hold strong and better days will come. But anyways, let's get on to trendy tech stocks, uh, which I know you actually have some bearish thoughts on. So um, talk about your plays for the week. And uh, yeah, I know you have some interesting words coming up on the boycott uh, against Facebook and some of the social media names. Well, r- real quick, before getting into the picks, I want to get into that little Amazon example there. I mean, since we are kind of looking at different trade horizons here, even though we both need to sort of consider what the current macro situation is, I do want to point out that I'm looking at a much shorter time horizon for the listeners in terms of, you know, one to a couple of days or a week. So really looking to uh, essentially swing trade based on, you know, what the immediate direction is of the market versus making a long-term bet, uh, in which case over a long enough time horizon, a long position will eventually be profitable. It's just whether that's, you know, a few months or a few years. So back when you could have bought Amazon for whatever price, I'm sure over some, you know, one or two or three, even a week long time frame, you probably could have gotten some pets.com that would have gotten you five times as much uh, Amazon for that initial investment. So being able to find an opportunity to buy and sell uh, will give you an opportunity to maximize sort of the leverage of your buying power. Uh, and there are long-term plays and certainly don't advocate trading your entire portfolio in such a short time horizon, but to increase your uh, profitability and likelihood of um, long-term success, especially in a time of high volatility like this. Uh, I think there is a lot of benefit to knowing when the exit is to a certain trade that you are making, and there's nothing wrong with holding on to some of the great blue chips, but also consider that um, there may be an opportunity to get a great discount on your favorite uh, boring dinosaur stock in probably just a few weeks here. But looking at the week ahead, I think there's some really interesting plays, uh, some of which really catalyzed on Friday. Um, and the first one, I'm, I'm obviously looking for some downward moves. So uh, looking at VIX calls uh, each time there's either a bounce um, so until, you know, I'm looking to exit those probably if we get there tomorrow, it's, look to break either below 297 uh, and especially VIX gets over 40. Um, I'll probably exit that and wait for it to cool down before getting back in. But we have a very interesting short opportunity in social media. Um, this based on a piece of news, advertisers um, boycotting Facebook due to concerns about the harmful discourse on the platform. Uh, and this is really snowballing here over the weekend with uh, additional names um, popping up is pulling out and a lot of pressure from a lot of social justice warriors out there uh, to make even further companies pull out. So this is definitely not going to go well for Facebook. And they've also announced a pulling out of other social media platforms as well. So this is definitely going to be a vacuum that sucks down uh, Twitter and Snapchat as well. Uh, but we'll have to see where Facebook opens on Monday. I mean, <laughs> an extreme gap down, you got to realize that shorting from the hole, there might not be a whole lot of meat left on that bone or that there's going to be a, a bounce before it really reaches its final destination um, where buying can resume. So, you know, with a play like this where it's already started trending down uh, into the weekend, look look for the right entrance before you just get yourself um, uh, buying at the top and selling at the bottom on trade. So with Facebook, it looks like, uh, well, it closed around 260. 
16 and dropped at 212.5 after hours. Um, so I see the meat on that bone at least down to 205, looking for a bounce potentially around 200. But if it breaks that, and especially if the market is selling off early in the week, that, that could drop to 190, potentially even lower before. I think there's a heavy bounce, certainly. Uh, one play that uh, people will be looking to be long on is Facebook, but you really can't fight the trend and a boycott's only temporary. So, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't play both sides here and, you know, try and catch that falling knife uh, if it does reach one of those extreme low levels. Um, but also price targets for Twitter, which has already been pretty beaten down last week. Um, 27.5 if it reaches that level, probably getting out and looking for uh, an entrance at some point. And Snapchat, which has also been running up, um, see a price target at 21, but could see that also breaking down below 20. Um, so outside of the social media area, again, if it's selling, it looks like everything is probably if you're holding puts, it'll probably be uh, a good trade, but that doesn't mean that there can't be some safe or good long plays out there. Uh, with COVID news heating up, I'm looking to the biopharma space, uh, for potentially some, some safer long plays or some, some value on a bounce next week, specifically, uh, AstraZeneca, Moderna and Pfizer all of which popped at the end of the day Friday. So I wouldn't be surprised if they open lower if we gap down, um, but definitely a chance to run up um, early in the week on a bounce. And another sector uh, that I, I definitely want to highlight here, and, and one that I know that, that you love, Ben, um, is cloud con computing space, where despite selling, um, we've seen some impressive strength from a few tickers, um, specifically Fastly, which was booming on Friday during the sell-off. Uh, and we also saw some um, strong moves from Cloudflare, ticker is NET, uh, in the middle part of the week. And that's one that we have been pretty fond of for a while back down at $26. So with a lot of these cloud stocks, it's hard to really tell, you know, what the top is. And without as much historical movement and established supports and resistance levels and, and whatnot that some of your dinosaur stocks have, um, there's still plenty of price discovery to be done. So I don't think that the euphoria of the market that we've been experiencing over the last couple uh, months is necessarily done. Um, but that doesn't mean that a rug pull couldn't happen at any time. Um, but in the meantime, it does seem like there is still a lot of uh, money pouring into that cloud space. Also saw a big $1.4 million order, uh, call order for Akamai, uh, a cloud and security company, um, for the August 21st date 105 strike, which it's sitting right about around uh, call position, um, based potentially on a price upgrade from Piper Sandler to 119. Uh, another ticker that I'm watching, which also received a price upgrade last week, is ServiceNow. Um, looked like it was about to surge, but it's since been held under 400. So that is one ticker where if that breaks over 400, you know, looking to jump in. Uh, and another uh, tempting long play there. Um, but again, if everything is selling off, it probably will also hit the cloud space, but you can definitely get a few good uh, scalps or short trades in that, in that cloud space if any of those plays start moving. Um, another Galaxy Brain play here, looking at DraftKings and also Penn. Uh, if there is any announcement that sports leagues pull back on some restart plans, it seems almost certain that we'll get uh, MLB back. 
uh, in basketball is working on a way to return um, and no reason to think the NFL season will be canceled. But with the escalation of news, I'm sure there'll be plenty of pressure on those leagues to reconsider if we get to a point where um, there is a mass uh, issue with hospitalizations and, and utilization of those beds. So DraftKings, one play that's run up and looked like it was selling off Friday. So there's still some downward movement to be found there. Um, could see that even dipping below 30 bucks. Um, so that that would be one to watch earlier in the week. And just to throw out a name that could still meme out, be one um, for the Robin Hood crowd to pile in on is Workhorse, one that I know that you uh, ha- had some some um, very complimentary words for. Uh, sitting right around 10 bucks, a nice round number for breaks above that. Since that's in the electric vehicle space, we've seen what happened with Nikola and that crazy run-up. Um, over the last couple of weeks and Tesla basically being the stock market darling, um, sitting now below $1,000, but still at stratospheric heights that are kind of unthinkable. Um, workhorse is definitely going to be the next one in line. Who knows if it's a good business? I don't think you think it is, but, but uh doesn't mean that you can't make a couple bucks on a trade if it starts moving again early in the week. Yeah, let's uh, actually love your ideas this week. So I got, I got some commentary on pretty much all of them. So I'll quickly run down. The one I really wanted to explore is the DraftKings trade because I, you, know, you and I both are huge sports fans and I have a ton of ideas on whether sports will come back or not uh, over the next year. So, But first, um, on the social media boycott front, uh, I, I agree the trend is probably going to be that Facebook is, is very challenged over the last couple of weeks in trading. It's going to be difficult. That said, like, there have been so many opportunities over the last decade or so, or since Facebook went public um, to buy the stock during times of crisis, whether it was when Google tried to get into social networking or most recently the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, obviously standing in front of Congress, you know, we sell ads Senator. But if you remember then the stock traded all the way down to one forty. I think it actually may have gone into the one thirties and there were a bunch of analysts calling for, you know, it to go under a hundred uh, the company's going to get broken up. Zuckerberg will be deposed as CEO, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the thing you know was making all-time highs just last week. You know, Facebook, I, I recommend to our listeners, look at the EBITDA projections over the last couple of years. Um, look at what the company's um, margins on the ROE and return on asset side. You know, this company is a monster. It is an absolute truck in terms of revenue growth, um, in terms of what it's doing and, and how consistent some of that growth is. I mean, people forget a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Facebook had just come up with this whole Facebook shops initiative um, and partnered with Shopify to do some pretty cool things in the e-commerce space. So again, it, it's so easy to get swept up in the scandal around this company and, and just assume it's going to be left for dead. Uh, but again, like this, I don't expect this to materially impact earnings for everyone who's part of this boycott. Um, maybe the, the checks are a little bit less, maybe they totally leave. But again, for every company that leaves, there's another lined up ready to advertise on Facebook. Um, on the other stuff, let's talk about the cloud computing trade. So every name you mentioned there, I want to be long. I think the cloud trade is a multi-decade trade. Honestly, like you look, I, I think I heard the stat, like 50% of companies still have on-prem services, still haven't moved to the cloud. There's a ton of room to run. Um, even for companies that are in the cloud, there's still a ton of, manual processes, whether it be an ERP or inventory or who knows. I mean, that's where ServiceNow has done so well. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend our listeners listen to the two podcasts I have on that. But ServiceNow, always getting new clients, always getting market share. Uh, there's so many use cases for this thing. Uh, existing clients writing bigger checks. So I think that 465 price target by Jeffries could even be a, a bit conservative. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, ServiceNow go to 500, 600 bucks. So yep, trade I want to be long. 
DraftKings. Let's let's talk about this one. So the news hitting the wire for sports is so overwhelmingly negative. It really makes me think about whether we're ever going to see team sports played um, this year, unless you believe that herd immunity or, or some coronavirus thing is not known that could surprise the upside. Because certainly there's, there's probably not going to be a vaccine this year. So, I mean, I mean, you start with the fact that, what was it, uh, four spring training facilities were closed down. Um, you got the Texas Rangers where, you know, people who work for um, work for the Rangers, you know, in like an administrative and kind of staffing capacity saying that they're afraid to come into work. They're afraid uh, with the outbreaks to, you know, talk to older family members or, or you know, go out and, and go to work. You, you look at the Phillies, they shut it down. Um, NHL, I think the Lightning shut it down. Clemson, you know, 17 players tested positive, I think 35 total. So there, there's no way, I think, to prevent these outbreaks just by the nature of sports. Um, they, you, know, you can be as careful as you want. You look at something like PGA, where I've been following pretty closely because I've been playing daily fantasy sports. You know, last first tournament, there was one guy who withdrew, and then it was four. And now you're talking about caddies who are getting coronavirus, and then players will not play as a result. So, I mean, it's a scary time, and, and it's just difficult in such a small operation where you're talking about teams of 20 or 30 or, you know, I guess in the NFL, you get up to 50, but all it takes is, is for one kind of wave of the virus. And you're talking about half your team out. So I know the NBA and the NHL and the NFL have planned carefully for this, but in practice, I have trouble seeing it work. So for that reason, um, I, I think Penn and DraftKings, which ironically, I've been long on both of those. Um, I think DraftKings especially is a great sh- uh, short. I mean, there's been a ton of insider spell, uh, selling Portnoy did a pretty good thing on it on the Davy Day Trader Global Cast, but everywhere from the CEO Jason Robbins all the way down, uh, massive amounts of insider selling on DraftKings. So you look at the fact people who work for the company don't even want to own the stock. So yes, we'd like to get short DraftKings, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on: Do you think sports can actually go ahead this year uh, if it's in some limited form, or is it going to be different than we we currently expect to see it, or is it just a complete shutdown? Real quick, I just want to uh, announce to the audience that I took the W this week in uh, Ben and I's weekly uh, uh, golf DFS head-to-head matchup. So uh, we'll also get a scoreboard going for that in addition to our uh, Berkshire. And it's early. It's, it's just one to nothing, but uh, I look forward to challenging you in future weeks. So I, I feel like there is such a strong incentive for sports to come back, especially with how big betting has gotten. And I think in a lot of ways, the renewed interest in trading can be looked at, especially with someone like Dave Portnoy, uh, as a replacement for conventional sports betting or typical uh, ways to scratch that itch for most people. So right now, the market is the only thing that seems to be uh, unpredictable and changing daily. So you don't have uh, goals and touchdowns to count, but you can look at tickers. But at the same time, the the while while you can just televise games without people being there, there is the player safety issue. There's you know so much about testing. Um, I think there is definitely a way that they can find uh, or find a way to play the games. But what I see being the concern here is really the cancel culture um, that we live in. So real quick to take this back to Facebook, I almost see a lot of advertisers pulling out as a, a way to opportunistically, you know, try and trim your balance sheet here, knowing that there's some tough quarters ahead because despite um, stock prices right now, you know, there still are continued layoffs at Nike laying off employees after that uh, earnings call. So I think there's probably still the risk of continued uh, weakness in terms of actual uh, revenue for a lot of these companies. So if advertisers are finding an opportunity to get some press by 
uh, standing next to a cause or movement, whatever that might be looking in the future, um, they, they can get some free PR instead of spending, you know, however many billions on Facebook ads, which, you know, in Facebook's defense, it is a great advertising platform. Um, but if there is uh, a free opportunity to, to just, you know, pull out of that and not have to pay that for the next 30 days or however long until uh, either demand comes back and we're, or we're in a different situation, um, you know, I think that puts a lot of uh, pressure on sports as well. Um, since a lot of advertising revenue or TV deals are where their, their income comes from. So if they do decide to play, there could potentially be a massive PR uh, issue if, you know, I'm not trying to make this argument that they shouldn't play, but I'm sure someone will and will have a much bigger platform and megaphone to yell it out with. Um, so unless we're in a position where there's sort of general uh, community and um, societal acceptance of, just being out and about and safely, you know, in your office or wherever. Um, it's hard to sort of see sports coming back in the way that they really should. And, you know, I think you and I both would love to see them do. Um, not qualified to determine whether it's safe. Also not qualified to give financial advice. So this is uh, <laughs> for entertainment purposes only. Just keep that in mind. Um, but sports, as welcome as that would be for a distraction for most people, um, they don't feel any closer. And I feel like they're subject, as with the market and everything else, to um, the specter of renewed stay at home or, or shut down orders, which I just, you know, I'm not definitely calling for, but you have to realize that there is that, that possibility there. Um, and since it is such a politicized issue, you know, this could even be really out of the hands of the league administrators and commissioners um, with their hand forced by, you know, the uh, court of, of public opinion deciding that they should do this anyways. And it definitely seems like sentiment wise, that could be an issue. So I certainly worry for the, the risk there. But um, as far as shorting DraftKings and Penn, I mean, you sent me something earlier about how much Penn had run up uh, since March lows. So I think at least from sort of a technical standpoint, I think there is a lot further to fall there, assuming you're not getting in too early uh, and some surging on, on a, a stock that's been doing well. But um, once it turns a corner, I think you can definitely make a great short trade there on a play that you would probably still love to have, but at a much better price. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think irrespective of whether sports comes back or not, I think just from a risk-reward trade where you say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm trying to make a trade that maximizes my expected value, a trade that I know is plus EV and is going to have a bigger reward than the risk I'm taking. I think shorting something like a DraftKings, that it's priced in that sports are going to come back. Like when DraftKings was surging – I, mean, I remember you and I talking about maybe it wasn't on the podcast that the expectation was, okay, NBA is going to come back this year. NHL is going to come back. Football is going to come back. Um, I mean, you, I think you said it well. It may not even be a coronavirus issue. It may be a court of public opinion issue. So you know, regardless of what the correct policy is, I, I think we live in a very sensitized world. Um, and obviously nobody likes to see anyone get sick. Nobody likes to see leagues putting people in danger. So I don't know. I think it's very fragile to the le to you know be at the NBA, NFL, NHL, whatever. Deciding you know we don't want to take the PR hit on this. We think the best thing to do for the fans and the league is to just shut it down. And you know, the, there is a major ripple effect. This does, doesn't just affect the sports betting industry. And real quick, it's not just DraftKings and Penn. There is also a nice new ETF on sports betting. The BET, I believe S might be C, uh, ticker bets. Uh, so if that's one place that you're looking to go along, it's a nice way to 
to do it. But uh, in addition to betting, I think there is a ripple effect that will also be seen in the broadcast companies who are hurting for uh, live sports to draw viewership. And with advertising dollars being the one thing that was pretty strong in the last earnings round with Facebook and Google uh, surging on, on their earnings and a strong um, quarter for, for revenues from, from ad buying. Um, if that pulls back uh, or, or we're in a situation where certainly spending those levels is not viable in the current environment, then I think that puts a lot of those uh, market darlings in, in a very precarious position. So Disney owning ESPN certainly uh, is probably the one that stands to gain most from having live sports come back. Um, but you also have to consider other uh, media platforms, I believe Viacom, CBS, and Comcast uh, might be one to consider. Um, have to look into exactly how much uh, of their overall revenue comes from that. But just in general, TV needs a live sports to come back um, for, for viewership to really um, justify the, the ad prices that, that are needed to you know, prop up the, the current stock prices. Because there will come a time where fundamentals do matter again. Um, not to say it's in the immediate future, but based on how quickly cycles are, are being moved through in the current market, that could be, you know, as soon as a month from now or after this next earnings round, and then we could experience another, another bubble after that. But, you know, timelines are, are being really, really quickly accelerated there. So um, sports coming back definitely would be a very strong positive narrative for the market. Um, which they can continue to sell as, as movements are made. But that's one major catalyst outside of the ones we already talked about, I think, that could certainly uh, measure on the market Richter scale and send some shockwaves there if sports don't come back. I like it, though. We go short advertising, short sports gambling, long the cloud. I'm, I'm very down for that trade. You have anything else up your sleeve going into the week, Ed? I guess we didn't talk about Workhorse. Uh, I guess a quick two cents on Workhorse is, I used to work at a electric vehicle startup where Workhorse was a competitor of the company I worked for. Um, having listened to a lot of their earnings calls and looked at their product and seen them at trade shows, I can tell you that Workhorse has issued a ton of equity uh, for quarters and quarters on end. Um, they, they dilute the stock time and time, not a shareholder-friendly company. They certainly have a product. I mean, they've successfully sold uh, USPS. Um, that, you know, they have an electric vehicle. Um, it's not like they're they're doing this for the first time, but if you just look at the balance sheet uh, and, and just look at this company's financials, this is not something you want to own. Um, this is not a Tesla. This is not a company that's achieved scale. You know, they've they've sold to a couple clients, and they have kind of a science lab type experiment project and a truck they've been selling. Um, yeah, you know, what is it? Uh, below cost for a, a number of years. I mean, their negative margin on, on their core product. I believe that's still the case. So uh, the, the fundamentals aren't there on any of the EV space. And I, I include that in Tesla. And I say that as someone who, who uh, you know, generally thinks we should be all electric on, in vehicles and in energy in general. But again, this, happened, this has happened time and time again with green energy. Um, the enthusiasm and the optimism on the companies involved does not match the fundamentals. So Workhorse, you know, I, I expect the stock to keep running because the market just, just loves the EV space. But at some time, there's going to be a great reckoning for electric vehicles in the stock market. Uh, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I'm, I'm sticking to that thesis. 
Yeah, and, and I totally agree. Um, but looking in the short term, price action doesn't lie. And uh, just throw another EV company out there, NIO, um, a Chinese electric vehicle company, has been absolutely surging um, the last couple of weeks. But um, very volatile as most uh, Chinese stocks are. Um, but there is clearly an appetite in the market for some of these EV stocks. Uh, I talked about Nikola earlier being one um, where there's no revenue in quite a long time till there will be one. Um, but is experienced an extreme run-up even going back to when it was the SPAC uh, VTIQ. But um, while I don't buy it long-term, and I don't know if this is a trade I want to make, one more I did want to toss out there. We have another uh, SPAC or blank check company, SHLL, or Tortoise Acquisition, uh, which has announced um, that they will bring, be bringing a Texas electric vehicle company, Hylion, uh, to market. I guess they do... Uh, electric trucks or battery powered heavy duty truck company. Um, and that's one that ran up 50% on Friday. And certainly if there is uh, the same trajectory for something like VTIQ, VTIQ into uh, Nikola um, after that, that change was announced, then, you know, I'm not going to thumb my nose at uh, a crazy run up knowing full well that um, the, this is a short term trade scalp, maybe, you know, one or two day move uh, with some some very high upside since this is basically just a repeat of the same thing. So in the retail trader psychology, if it worked once, it's going to work again. So I think that there's certainly an opportunity, if not the same upside as that Nikola trade um, to just ride another very similar wave that I'm certainly not buying long term. And, you know, if Tesla were to run into some trouble, uh, whether that be financially or with their supply chain, I think that would spell trouble trouble for just about every one of these other companies. Just the same way that with crypto, if you're into trading crypto, really the health of any crypto relies on Bitcoin uh, continuing to add value. And if Bitcoin were to crash, then it'd take them all down. So I see sort of that dynamic in the electric vehicle space, but tape don't lie, so don't fight it. Yep. Short Tesla has been a losing trade for a number of years now. You got anything else before we wrap up? The last comment, um, this is play called out on the last show. I'm very bullish gold going into this week. Uh, gold being uh, another one of those indicators of a risk off position, investors looking to take their money out of equities. Uh, and I called that one out on our show, I think, which dropped last Monday and gold proceeded to just dump uh, with the market looking like it was heading into a risk on position or consolidating into a rally. Um, but we saw it close just below 167. And this is the GLD ticker as opposed to the gold spot price, they're slightly different. Um, but a key support level there was 165, which it held even with that heavy selling on the rallies earlier in this week. So uh, as I mentioned before, seeing the potential for uh, a major sell-off and also, you know, there's a lot of flow to support that. Um, there's interest in a short-term, very bullish trade in gold. Uh, so even where it's sitting right now at 167, we'll see where it's at overnight. But I expect a significant move um, if we enter a selling position. Um, targeting 170 um, is probably the first first place I will take profits, but with potential for more upside. Um, gold is one of those plays. Obviously, physical gold is probably one of the safest you know, investments you can make uh, for any number of reasons. But um, just to point out again, strategy in a sell-off or in a bearish environment, um, some of these plays, whether it's uh, holding VIX in, in the middle of a sell-off or putting uh, a lot of money into a position in gold, especially if the dollar is weakening, um, that's the type of trade where there's probably never a bad time to, to get into gold if the market's weakening or showing um, a big 
sell-off. So looking for continued strength next week uh, with with gold and you know potential to to move even further um, with with a potential you know dump in in early July for the rest of the market. Yeah, one additional thought on gold, just like how we talked about sports being totally canceled would kind of be the rabbit in the hat for the short DraftKings trade. I think the Fed expanding their balance sheet is the equivalent uh, for the gold trade. If we see the market really take another huge leg down, let's say the SPY goes into the 220s or something like that, I think the Fed still has their bazooka loaded. I think even if it's not the Fed, we've heard Congress throwing around this $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. So I think more money is going to get pumped into the economy, as crazy as that sounds. And of course, for every additional dollar, you would expect gold to, that to be a catalyst for gold. So still think gold has room to run. I think it's a great long-term trade. So if Sean is the short-term trader on the podcast, I'm the buy and hold for a decade, guy. So this one, I think it's good short-term, good long-term. And, and real quick, just because you mentioned, uh, you know, Fed in the repo market. So one, one last quick thought. I mean, I don't think I got too much into the bull case because I'm clearly very short term bearish here. Um, but I, I think it can't be lost even as doom is in doom and gloom as any of the COVID news or anything else might be. Uh, there is still the fact that the Fed can step in at any point and start buying ETFs and bonds, as they've said. Um, but one really interesting thing that had uh, piqued my interest is that there hasn't been any overnight repo uh, activity in almost two weeks. Uh, so the last one was Monday, uh, the 16th. So it does look like for now, the Fed is pulling back to some regard with uh, Jerome Powell testifying in front of Congress and um, getting a stern talking to uh, from a lot of those uh, senators and, and representatives there. But it does seem like, well, you know, there, there's no reason why the, the Fed wouldn't prop up the market. You know, when, when that faucet get turn, gets turned back on, um, could be lower than I think most investors who are expecting and just a an un, uncontested march up to all-time highs would expect. But, um, you know, another another reason to think we just bounce around in a similar range for the next couple months bef- instead of having either a major rug pull and retest of lows or a push to all-time highs. Um, but I think at least in the short term, it looks like, you know, the Fed needs to sort of step back and let price discovery be a thing. But, you know, that could change at any moment. Yeah, the overnight repo point is really interesting. That chart you sent me, it's super interesting that the, the market kind of has dried up there um, with the Fed essentially being the, the reason whether it uh, goes up or down. So, I mean, it's crazy how much the Fed impacts the market, uh, whether it's in treasury purchases or overnight repo. So I think we've seen this is a pretty supportive Fed um, and don't fight the Fed, obviously. So I do think there's kind of a, a limit on how low down the market can go obviously that uh that train of thought can get you in, in quite a bit of trouble but i'm sticking to it because i do think uh coronavirus is a temporary one-time shock on the economy and i, I think the fed has plenty of firepower left uh to fight any issues we could encounter in the near term future that's all i got man anything else before we we wrap it up for today yeah just closing thoughts in, in this environment where you know this rally has been really supported by credit and um, you know, there's no reason to think it can't continue to be supported by credit. Uh, I, continuing to eat candy is not a, a sustainable thing. So I don't have any idea what the end game here is or could be. And I'm not sure that our, our boy j does either. And maybe we should get um, Davey Day Trader uh, in there in, in Washington to sort things out with his, his vast investing knowledge. Uh, but 
at the same time, I also realized that after, you know, one trading day, so if we were to talk on, on Monday evening, it'd probably be completely different. So you just got to take it one day at a time. Yep. Slow and steady wins the race. All right, buddy. I will talk to you later and happy trading. Oh, happier trading to you, my man. Till next time. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.